Hey, we want to we wanna dig right into this series, Finding Your Way Back. I have actually, you know, ever since we first started talking about doing this series, I have really looked forward to it because this one is one that whether you have not, you don't believe in God, but you find yourself far away from Him. What's that look like to try to, to, to draw near to Him? For anybody that has any relationship with God, you know that there are times when you feel really close to Him and times that you feel like you've taken a step or two away or times that you've taken a mile or two and you've, you've gone away. Something has drawn your way and how in the world do we get that back? I, that's, it's, some, it's so real for so many of us. I think every one of us can think of just, our, yeah, I know either those seasons or those years, or those days, or right now, that I feel pretty far away, and how in the world do I get back? I want to take you guys back to 1992 for me. Uh, it, it was, it was, I was a 22-year-old kid, and, it, and I, was, I was serving in inner-city Philadelphia. I had a chance to go to the projects in South Philly, to these places called Passion Combs. It's, it's one, of the, one of the times of my life that just really um, uh, made a, a lasting impact on me. I got to go spend two different seasons of life with a bunch of people in, in inner city Philadelphia, some of the, the most beautiful people that I've, I've, I've been, been around, people that just were so loving and caring right in the heart of inner city Philadelphia. And I got a chance to, to spend some, t- some time there and, and, uh, and get to know and make some great friends in, in the heart of that. Also, but also what happened in the heart of that was in that second time that I was there, I had a crisis of faith. I was serving God and, 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 and a, a leader in my college ministry. And, and, and then, but I got there and partway through that summer, I just started, I had this crisis around my faith and and my doubt, and my struggle with God. And I wrote it down in my journal, and, and I wanted to read it, I wanted to read a little bit to you. It's so funny, when you, if any of you guys ever write in a journal, most of the time when I write, I still want to paint some sort of, of good picture of myself. Even though I'm the only one reading it, I still want to go, yeah, but I, I still love God. There, every once in a while, I'm honest in there, and this is one of those honest times in my journal. This was on July 5th of that, of that summer. This is what I said. I said, tonight... I really feel the need to write. My heart's in turmoil. I wonder if I'm a Christian. Have I fully accepted Jesus in my heart? Have I grown or have I stayed right where I was at two years ago? Am I a hypocrite? Am I doing the deeds without feeling it in my heart? Where does my mind, and my, where does my mind wander off to? Why can't I pray? Why am I in a position of leadership and I feel so needed to be led? Why do I have so many questions about my faith? Why can't I wake up and realize how awesome Jesus is? Why do I not want to pray? Why don't I find excitement at church? Does Satan live in me? Why can't I cast him out? What do I do? Do I ask for Jesus' help or is he mad that I haven't made a full commitment? Should I find truth in the Bible? Why do I read the Bible and doubt? Why do I feel so inferior? What do I do? Dear Lord, help me please. You guys, that's a 22-year-old kid that was scared to death of his doubts. It's a 22-year-old kid that, that, with, with, that doubted and then prayed and then doubted that prayer. He doubted and prayed and then served and then doubted any sort of a, was there, is, there, is there anything good coming from this service? He doubted, I doubted, I'd read the Bible and I would doubt in that. 
I would start to doubt God's presence in my life. And I started to, I saw some of the plights of the urban poor in the inner city. And I'm going, I started to doubt God's presence in other people's lives. There were those times where I struggled with those things. And here's what, in the end, when you struggle with those kinds of doubts and it continues to pull you further and further away from God, there's a point at this point where you start to go, it's not even about my doubt towards God. And now I'm starting to just doubt me. And I'm going, come on, I say I love God, but how in the world can I love God if I have those doubts? How in the world do I even know God if I'm questioning his presence in my life? So, so, so I'm sitting at it in that spot, that far away, and in that place, man, I'm paralyzed by that doubt. In that place, I don't know where to go, and I don't know how to find my way home. I don't know how to find my way back. And I know that lots of us feel that at one time or another. Lots of us feel those, those just, uh, this, this little angst of doubt that leads into bigger doubt, that leads into a point where you're going, man, I don't, it's hard for me to be here. It's hard for me to pray. It's hard for me to serve. It's hard for me to do anything because the doubt is winning. And that's, that's where I was at at that point. And I wish I could say, oh gosh, that was way back when. But I know there's been seasons of, of that, of, of, little, of elements of that or seasons of that in lots of different times in my life since then. What do you do when doubt creeps in that far? What do you do when you find yourself that far away from God and you're going, I don't know how to get my way home? What would you say to that 22-year-old kid? I tell you one thing I know that all of us say to ourselves in this spot. To ourselves, we say, we, we, we say, I have a pathetic faith. We say, I am a fraud. We say, if anybody discovered these thoughts that I have in my head, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't be anywhere around anybody that says they believe in God. We beat the heck out of ourselves in this space. We sit in, the, in paralysis in this space. That's what we say. But what's God say to us in the heart of that? What's God say to us in that space, way out here? What's, how is he coming to us? And how is he responding to us in this space? I think that if we can discover that, it might, it might do wonders for us in helping us to take steps closer to him. And so that's what we want to do this morning as we're looking at finding our way back. Let's look how God finds us in these spots that we tend to be in every once in a while. Father, we pray that you would help us in this to, to be honest with ourselves and, and to be honest with where we're at and where we've once been or, or the self-talk that we have in the midst of that. I pray, Lord, that you'd, you'd speak to us. And in the end, we might even draw closer to you as a result of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through a passage of scripture that Jim read through last week. It's, it's on the prodigal son, okay? So, so we're, that's the passage that we're going to spend time with over these four weeks that we're spending time in this series. And, the re, and there's a reason why we're reading this passage. See, God could have set this thing up as a system. Think about this. He could have created us and set it up as a system. Here's your 10 things that you got to do. And if you do these things, you're doing fine. See you in heaven. He could have set it up as a system that there's the three things you shouldn't do. Just don't do those. And then we could just check it. Check it off. I'm doing one, four, seven, and nine, but I'm not doing the rest of those. If I do a couple of those, I'm doing better. Eventually, I'll do enough of, all of them that I, I've, I've earned my way someplace. God could have set it up that way, but he didn't. 
He looked at his creation and he said, I love my creation so much that I want to be in relationship with my creation. I want my son to come to this earth and be in relationship with my creation. But in doing that, he introduced some other things, though, in relationship with him. It means that there are times in relationship, if you think about any relationship you've got, there are times where you want to be close, but then there are times that you find yourself wandering off. There's times where you want to listen, but there's times where you just don't want to listen. There's times where you want that protection of that relationship, and times you're going, no, I don't need that protection. There's those times where you fully get it, and you're going, yes, I love this right here. There's times that for some reason or another, you find yourself liking it out there. That's part of relationships. And Jesus knows that and knows that about us, that we can go in lots of different places in this relationship. And he wants to speak into that. And so he spends some time with his disciples and he, and he wants to speak into it with them. And he's going, all right, let me tell you guys this. This is about a relationship. And I know he's looking at Peter and he's looking at Judas and he's looking at John and he's looking at, at Matthew and he's going, I know you guys are, uh, will struggle. I know this relationship will feel super close at times and far away at times. And so let me tell you what it's like when it starts to feel far away. And he tells us this story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The youngest one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set out for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He said he's no longer worthy. I want to stop right there real quick because that word worthy has meant, meant a ton to me in my life. See, when I first got started trying to figure this whole thing out with Jesus in my life, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to this really good-looking girl at the University of Washington on the steps of Chi Omega, and she's, she's telling me about this, this, the goodness of God, and she's telling me about the love of God, and telling me about how much that means to her in her life. And I turned to her, I said, Jackie, I just don't, I don't, I don't get this. And I told her, I said, I said, I am not worthy. I used those, I said, I am not worthy of that love that you're describing for me. And she said to me, she said, Bill, nobody's worthy. Nobody's worthy of it, but God still gives it anyway. That's his gift to us. Nobody's worthy of his love, but he gives it anyway. Ever since then, that word still appears for me because there are times where I still feel like I'm not worthy Maybe I, I'm not serving with, the, with the, the right attitude and I'm not worthy. I'm not praying as much as I should or with, the, with, the, with, the, with the, the understanding that I should or with the confidence that I should. And I just go, I'm not worthy. And a lot of times that's where the doubts come in. Well, this guy's saying he's got to go back to his dad and say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And Jesus then says this, and picture what this was like for the disciples to hear this. He's sitting there with his disciples and he says, but while he was still a long way off, while this guy was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled not with condemnation, not with judgment, 
He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now we're going to stop right there, just like Jim did last week. We're going to stop there. I want to go on to the rest of the story next week because there's a whole other part to this story that, that, uh, that we'll unpack a little bit next week. But, but we're going to, we're, the kid wanders, he doubts, he concludes he's not worthy, and he comes back and God runs after him, the father runs after him, puts his arms around him and, and celebrates that he's come home. If I'm sitting in your seats right now, and I've, I've sat in your seats plenty of times, if I'm sitting in your seats right now and I hear that, and if I'm in the heart of my doubt, if I'm in the heart of those seasons where I've wandered away, if I'm right there, I would say, okay, that's great, but you don't know my story. You don't know that I'm struggling with even that reading from scripture right now. You don't know that, that you prayed before and I didn't even pay attention to it. I was thinking about the donut that I ate beforehand. You don't know my doubt. You don't know how hard this is for me. I wrote this down. I said, said, doubt won't let me go. When I'm in that place, doubt won't let me go. Doubt stands as a scary shadow that won't go away. It reveals itself in my weakest moments. It brings out a loneliness and an insecurity. It makes me feel less than whole. It makes me feel frustrated. It makes me feel like a fraud. It paralyzes me. It makes me feel as far away from God as it gets. And I don't think I can get home. And from here, how can I conclude anything but I'm so stinking unworthy? You guys, I know that feeling. And I know how much you want to just press against anything that would would give you any encouragement in it. I know that paralysis. I know that frustration. I know that fear. I know what that feels like out there. And I know how hard it is for me to hear anything from that place. And I know that's where many of us are at at times. And it's from there that we have to start to recognize what's what's God saying to to us in this? What's what's God's approach to doubt in this? How does God see it? See, we condemn ourselves far more than God ever would. God didn't even condemn. He's, just, he's not judging or condemning, but we condemn ourselves out there. Oz Guinness wrote a book called God in the Dark, and in it, and it's, it's Faith Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt, and he talks about the origins of doubt. It's a phenomenal book on doubt. If you, if you need a book on doubt, that's the one to read. But in there, he says he was in the Middle East one time, and he was walking down, down through a street, and he saw this peasant guy trying to get his donkey to move. And his donkey was loaded with stuff on it, and he said he wouldn't move. And it's in the heat of the day, and he says he took out his whip, and he starts beating this donkey. Would you just get going, get going, get going? And finally, the donkey collapsed under, under the weights, collapsed under the heat, collapsed under the beating, and just collapsed to the ground. And he said, that's what we do in our faith. We beat it up. We just go, I gotta believe this, and I gotta believe this, and I gotta stop doubting. And we beat it up to the point that it collapses. Ever since I read that 20 years ago, ever since I read it, I think about those moments where I'm still doing that, where I'm beating it up. I'm going, oh, just, this is just like that donkey. I just keep beating it up. We got to go, you know what? 
Jesus doesn't approach us that way. He's not beating us up in the middle of our doubts. See, what happens when we do that, when we beat ourselves up, is it, it's an error that leads us to a view of faith that's unrealistic. It's a view of faith that's unrealistic and it's a view of doubt that's unfair because it expects perfection. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to, to save those that were, that were already well. I came those that are saved, those that are sick. I came those that are imperfect. I came for those that are imperfect. We expect perfection in our own faith. And Jesus is going, I don't expect perfection. I know that you're not going to be perfect. I know that there's going to be times where you're going to be prone to wander. I know when doubt's going to be in there. And every time Jesus responded to doubt, there were tons of times, you guys, in the Gospels where he's responded to doubt. Every time he responded to doubt, he responded with compassion. There's a passage in Jude that says, that, that says we got we to gotta treat doubt with compassion. It's a tiny little, um, treat doubt with compassion. They're writing that because that's what Jesus did. He treated doubt with compassion Oh, he wanted to correct us for sure. He wanted to help us to trust him. He's going, you don't have to doubt. You can trust me. I know you will, but you can trust me. You can trust me. He definitely wanted to help us in that, to trust him. But then he also kept going. He kept doing his work in the heart of our doubt. He didn't wait for, he kept doing his work and he wanted us to keep going. He wanted us to keep on moving, to keep moving even in that doubt and through that doubt because he knew we would discover something through it all. Jesus, with every one of those encounters with doubt, he worked with us in it. Look at Peter. Peter was on this boat, and the disciples are on the boat with him, and Jesus is, is walk, walks out on water. And he comes out there, he says, he says, Peter says, is that you, Jesus? He says, yes, it is. He says, well, if it's you, then have me come out there with you. And so Jesus says, all right, come on out. And so Peter gets out of the boat, gets onto the water, and is now standing on water. Peter, just like you or me, he's standing on water. And he, Jesus says, come walking towards me. And he's walking towards him, fixing his eyes on Jesus. I've got it fixed and I'm doing something I can't believe I'm doing. Because you're allowing me to do this through your power. And he's walking towards Jesus. The waves start to hit. The waves start to crash around him. He starts to see the trouble and he starts to doubt. And when he starts to doubt, he starts to sink. In that moment, for you and me, when we had our eyes fixed on Jesus, things were going good. And the next thing you know, we start to focus on something else and we start to focus on the problem. We start to see something happen and we start to doubt and we start to sink. What do we think in that moment? What is our thought? Here's our thought. Here's what we think Jesus is saying to us. I'm not helping you until you fix this. We think Jesus is saying that. We think he's gonna stand there at the, in that water and he's watching Peter drown and he's going, well, good luck. Fix it, stop doubting, and I'm right here. That's what we think in the heart of our doubt. But it's false, you guys. That is a false statement that we have to get past. That is not what Jesus does. See, Jesus reaches in, pulls him out, and looks at him and says, man, you don't have to doubt, I am right here. I know those waves are scary, you don't have to doubt, I'm right here. And Jesus, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of that doubt, works. And then asks us to continue to work. He doesn't just say, okay, you're done. He asks us to continue to work. He works right in the heart of it. You look at Thomas, 
When, when Thomas at the very end, when Jesus lived and then died and then rose from the dead and then appeared to all those disciples, he appeared to all of them except for one, to Thomas. He appeared to lots of friends except for one, to Thomas. Thomas heard that he had, he had risen from the dead and Thomas's response was, I won't believe it until I see it, just like many of us would say. And so Jesus comes walking into that upper room and he sees all the disciples that are there in the upper room and he walks right past all of them and goes straight to Thomas and he stands there right before Thomas. What do we think he says? Now look, you might know what he says, but in the heart of your doubt and in the heart of your wandering, in the heart of being far out, what do we think God is saying to us? We think he's saying this, why can't you be like everyone else that believes? That's what we start telling ourselves. I know God's going, why can't you be like the rest of them? They believe, why can't you believe? Why can't you be like the rest of them and believe? That's false. You guys, he walks past everyone else like he doesn't, like they aren't even there. And he goes straight to Thomas and he just says, put your hands where, where, where the holes are in my hands. He says, now will you believe? He goes right to him. He says, man, you don't have to doubt. He does that with great compassion. And then he says, he, he says, now, blessed are those that, that don't see and still believe because he knows there'll be a bunch of people that aren't going to get that opportunity in that room. And he's going, blessed are you that, that don't see that and still believe. But guess what? I know that, that there's some of you might still doubt. I know it might, you go, might go through seasons where you might doubt. But he's saying, I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep working. And I want you to as well. You look at our story with the prodigal son. And we're out there and we've wandered off. And our doubts are getting the best of us. And what do we conclude? We conclude, I am not worthy. We're thinking that's what God is saying. God's saying, you're not worthy to come home. Mm -mm, not until you fix it. And instead, and, and that's wrong. It's false. Because, it's, because God actually runs after us. I think Jesus makes that very clear. No, no, God's coming running after us with his arms wide open saying, I know that's where you're at. I know that's where you're wandered. I know that's where your doubts are at. And I'm coming after you in that space. You see, we've got to see it the way God sees us and not the way we see ourselves because we see ourselves will only be paralyzed by our doubt. Now, there's another thing that we have to grab hold of when it comes to doubt. Doubt is not the, is not the same as unbelief. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. We got to grab hold of that too. See, we always think of, oh gosh, I doubt. That means I have no faith. No, see, there is, there is belief and there is unbelief. And in between there, there is, there is doubt. Doubt, if you break down that word in Latin, it means two. It's two, in two minds. You're in one mind, belief. You're in one mind, unbelief. And you're in this middle ground. And this middle ground is where doubt lives. And God knows in this relationship, there's going to be times we're going to be in this middle ground where doubt might live. But God is still at work in that. When that, there was a, a man came up to Jesus with a possessed kid and he says, Jesus, if you can do this, will you fix my kid? And Jesus looks at him and goes, if? If? And I love the guy's response. He's going, did I just say if? Oh no, I didn't mean if. He says, he says do I believe? Help me overcome my, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus looked at him and going, no, it's not unbelief. That's not unbelief. That's just doubt. See, unbelief would have said, you can't do it. My kid is this way. You can't do anything about it. But he's saying, if you can do something about it. 
How many times have we prayed if prayers? If you can do it. If you can heal. If you can give that money for that building. If you can do. How many times do we pray the if prayer and then in the end just say, what a pathetic prayer. I got no faith. That's just part of doubt. And Jesus recognizes that in this man. And what does he do? He actually goes and says, where's your kid? And he takes care of him. Anytime anybody were to come to you and say, the reason why that didn't happen is you didn't have enough faith, go back to this passage. Go back to this and say, well, wait a minute. What about that one dude? He's, he had if stuff all over the place and Jesus still worked on his kid. So don't think about it like it's a, it's a matter of who had more faith and who doesn't. God's working with us and in us even in our doubts. He's actually working through our doubts. I love what Madeline Engel said. She says this, those who, believe, those who believe they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. I, I'm a, I don't want to fly past that. Those who believe they believe in God, but without passion in their heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. Maybe doubt actually has its place in faith. John Orberg said this, he says, is it possible that doubt might be one of those unwelcome guests of life that is sometimes in, in the right circumstances actually good for you? Why would it be good for us? Because it can remind us. It can remind us that we are in relationship it can remind us that Jesus is pouring out forgiveness and love on us. It's reminding us that he re approaches us with compassion. It reminds us that our faith is imperfect and it might not ever be perfect, but it doesn't, but still Jesus still works in it and Jesus still working through it and drawing him closer even in those doubts. So, so could it actually be under the right circumstances actually good for us as weird and scary as that might sound? If it can help us to understand that our imperfect faith is met with a perfect God and a perfect love, then maybe so. You guys, this doubt stuff always seems to be a dark gray cloud over me. When I have those seasons of doubt, it feels like just a gray cloud and it feels like, oh, it's so dry, it's so hard. And I started, what I've learned over the years and what I'm starting to think more of is, man, I don't know, maybe I need to, Maybe it needs to be a different approach. Maybe we need to approach it a little bit more like God does. And maybe you start to go, you know, can I actually live and actually find joy in the midst of this? Now, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. So I never do that, but I'm going to this morning. Um, there, there, I was working out the other day and I was listening to one of my favorite artists, Van Morrison. He said, Jackie introduced me to Van Morrison. I love him. And, uh, and, and so I'm listening to this song, a song that he was singing. And it, the song was Days Like This. Days Like There's going to be Days Like This. And I, when I first started listening to the song, I'm going, oh man, I don't want a depressing song while I'm working out. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to work my way through this treadmill workout I've got. I don't want a depressing, there'll be days like this where it's going to suck, but you can make it through. I don't want that in the middle of this workout. I want something more uplifting than that. And then I listened to the song and it shocked me. When you hear a song, there'll be days like this. What do you think of? Mama said there's gonna be days like this. What do you think of? You think there's gonna be some pretty rough days, but we can make it through. 
You know what Van Morrison is actually singing with that song? It's so inspiring. I thought I wanted you guys to listen to a little bit of it. So let's, let's listen to a little bit of Van Morrison's song. There's going to be days like this. There'll be days like this When there's no one complaining There'll be days like this When everything falls into place Like the flick of a switch Oh, my mama told me There'll be days like this When you don't need to worry There'll be days like this When the one's in a hurry There'll be days like this When all the parts of the puzzle Start to look like this Then I must remember There'll be days like this When you don't need an answer There'll be days like this When you don't need a chance There'll be days like this When you don't get the trade And I must remember There'll be days like this Alright, you guys, it shocked me. It shocked me. There'll be days like this where the puzzles do fit into place. There'll be days like this where you, you don't need an answer. There'll be days like this where it's going to shock you that it's going to be good. But I started thinking about it in light of this stuff around doubt. And I started going, there's going to be days where in the midst of our doubt, it still can be good. There'll be days that in the midst of our times where we start to feel like we're wandering a little bit, Jesus is going, I got you right here. And I still want to use you in powerful ways. And we're still going to do something good today. And you're going to have a good day with me today, even with your own doubt around your prayer. Even with your own doubt around what you just read in Scripture. There's going to be days that are going to be good days in this, and it doesn't have to be marked with cloudiness. It doesn't have to be marked with disappointment. It doesn't have to be marked with a whole season of feeling like you've wandered super far away from God because God has come to us, and he's going, man, there's going to be good days in this. You guys, Jesus comes to his disciples at the very end of his life on earth, and he says to them all, now, you guys, he's going, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Jesus is all fired up telling them, go do this. That's the great commission. But you know what that line was just before he said, go? The very line before he says, go, it's this line. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. All these, these disciples that saw all the great stuff, some worshiped and some doubted. And what did Jesus do? Did he separate them out? All you doubters sit over there. All you guys that worship me over here. Now, you guys, go and make disciples of all nations. You guys, good luck. He didn't do that. He didn't say, rough season, you guys are going to have good days. He knew it was all happening because it was all part of relationship. He knew that their breakdown in their faith would happen through time and it was all part of their relationship. And ultimately he says, now go and make disciples of all nations and teach them all that I have and know that I'm going to be with you always to the ends of the age. You hear that, you guys that are doubting? I'm going to be with you always to the ends of the age. 
you guys, we got to find some serious encouragement with that. We got to find some, some th- there's got to be some serious joy around that. It's going, you mean my imperfect faith can still have great days as I serve and love God? Yeah. And Jesus is saying, yeah. And oh, here's what I want you to do while you might be doubting in that. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep reading. Oh, you doubt? Uh, keep reading. Keep serving. It might, it might, it might, might be the, you might have the, might, have the, might have the best motives to do it. Keep serving. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep finding those places where there's injustice and, and, and meet the need there. Keep loving in every way that you can. Keep going. But what am I my doubt? Hey, I know it. I know it. It's there. Keep going. And there will be days where doubt might win. There will be days where you're going to go, I, 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 I can't even pray today. And Jesus will go, even on those days, I've got you. And I'm still working. And you can still go. And ultimately, you're going to find me in that. I wrote this down to finish. I said, as we keep going, as we shower grace, as we keep knocking and keep seeking and keep finding, something inside will push us. Something inside cannot quit hoping. Something inside keeps drawing us back to this rabbi. Something about his life, his work, and his faith. Something about his power, something about his peace, something about his love. And it will draw us, it will draw us home, no matter how imperfect we are. And I think that's true for every one of us as we keep going, we'll just keep discovering him. He knows those things are at play. And he's still working on us. And he's still working on this world. He's going, that's part of my relationship with you. Let's just keep going together. Father, I want to pray that that with each one of us in the midst of our struggles and our wandering and our doubt and our times that we feel paralyzed by it and fearful of it and mad at ourselves for it and disappointed with ourselves for it and embarrassed for it and feeling like a fraud, any of those times, Lord, that any one of us feels feels that around our faith, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that this is about a relationship a perfect relationship from you and an imperfect relationship from us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to recognize your love covers that imperfection. And may those end up being great days still in the heart of an imperfect faith to love you and serve you and show others your love. It's in your name we pray, amen.